Welcome to Experts Only Podcasts, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. For those listening, you're hearing a new voice today. I'm Mark Garrett, guest hosting today's podcast. I'm the Chief Technology Officer and a co-founder at Clean Capital, and I'm excited about today's conversation focused on data and technology. Today we're speaking with Charlie Isaacs, the Chief Technology Officer for Customer Connection at Salesforce, who has a track record of R&D leadership at companies like Verizon, Answer Systems, Broad Daylight, and Kana. He's been an early adopter and leader in the customer relationships management and Internet of Things software space, where he holds several patents. Charlie has been a longtime supporter of solar energy, and I'm excited for today's conversation about the growing integration of data, customer relations, and the Internet of Things in the solar industry and how an industry leader like Salesforce is helping to pave the way. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. Charlie, thank you for joining us on Experts Only. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. Charlie, you've been a supporter of solar for quite some time. At your UC Santa Barbara graduation ceremony in 1980, you gave a valedictorian speech encouraging everyone in the engineering school to consider a career in solar energy. What led you to make this statement? Oh, my gosh. Wow, that goes way back. Um, Yes, so I used to spend a lot of time on a sailboat, believe it or not. And I, I know people are really going to feel bad for me, but I used to sail a lot. I was on the actually, actually, I was on the UCSB sailing team, and we used to sail around Santa Barbara, and we spent a lot of time on the beach at Santa Barbara. And it, anybody who's been to Santa Barbara, when they walk off the beach, they know they've got tar and oil all over their feet, right? And we used to sail around the oil derricks, and we used to have to avoid them while we're racing and things like that. And it was always frustrating to me that we had to drill down into the ocean and, and ruin the ocean to extract fossil fuels to fuel our energy needs. So I was always against, you know, fossil fuels. And I know that's going to sound bad and I shouldn't um, make negative comments like that. But I always thought there was a better way. And I discovered solar, of course. And, and I was actually even leaning towards nuclear because nuclear was even cleaner than uh, fossil fuels. But I focused on solar because it didn't have all the the evils, and it was just a, an efficiency and productivity issue. And I figured that we had so many smart people, so many smart engineers in the world. Why can't they get together and solve the, you know, two portions that I view? I, I simplify, oversimplify everything. It's efficiency of the solar panel and storage, right? So, and that's why I want to really encourage everybody to enter that field. And I was, I was a big hypocrite because I didn't enter that field. I got into um, other things, but now I'm kind of back full circle, and I'm, I think I'm helping support uh, solar energy with my efforts with the Orange Button, and we're going to talk about that later, I hope. And, uh, well, that, that's why I, I wanted to encourage everybody and all my peers and colleagues to uh, really explore solar energy and how to solve that issue. Perfect. Thank you, Charlie. You refer to your role as the best job at Salesforce. And you're pretty seasoned in the technology space, having worked for players like Verizon and Answer Systems. How did you end up on this career path? And how did you get to Salesforce? Oh, wow. So when I first uh, got out of school, I know I wanted to give back and contribute to the 
to the United States in some way. And I knew I couldn't enter the military. <laughs> so I, and I, I couldn't really do, uh, you know, well, I had medical issues with allergies and things like that. So they wouldn't take me, even if I wanted to apply. So I figured, you know, how can I help? And I, I joined a government systems company, and, which became part of Verizon eventually. But I was doing imagery exploitation. So how I ended up uh, evolving into a really cool role was we were kind of, this is going to sound uh, negative again, but uh, we were spying on, spying on the Russians during the, the missile treaty talks. And uh, <laughs> we were doing imagery exploitation on that. And then we converted that to commercialized activities and, and started doing weather forecasting and things like that with the technology we were building. So anyway, to make a long story short, I started off, that's how I, I got my start in the world. And it was a combination of hardware and software skills required uh, for all of that, because I was actually helping build these workstations that manip manipulated the, uh, the imagery and uh, software was identifying points on the, on the imagery, you know, the images to, to locate where um, troops were, missiles were, and things like that, the all the bad stuff was. So I got into a merge of hardware and software from, from a really early start. And that just evolved into roles where I focused uh, where I could apply software and hardware together. And you mentioned, I like to boast that I've got the best job at Salesforce. When I first started at Salesforce, I was doing uh, what we call our service cloud. It was customer service. And I was asked by the CEO, Mark Benioff, you know, how I thought we could sustain our growth year over year. And my simple and quick answer to that was Internet of Things. And Internet of Things is, again, a merging of software and hardware. You've got software running on hardware at the edge. You've, you're pushing through a communications layer to the cloud. So if you've got a solar panel and it's got sensors on it reporting how much voltage is being uh, generated at the solar panel, and it goes into a solar controller, well... Wouldn't it be great to know when that thing's failing or not producing as much energy as it should? So you should be able to dispatch a field technician to get there to clean off the solar panel so that uh, it is more efficient. So what I did at Salesforce was initiated the beginnings of our Internet of Things program, which we call Internet of Customers, because we don't really have an IoT platform. We rely on others like for example, Cisco and AT&T and AWS to provide us with the data at the edge. And we merge it with customer data in the cloud. So anyway, to make a long story short, about six years ago, I started off doing that. And now my job, which, sorry, this, that was a long-winded answer to your question. My job evolved into uh, doing workshops with our IoT early adopter customers who wanted to connect, for example, their hot tub, uh, jacuzzi. <laughs> they said, hey, we, we have a hot tub here, and we want to raise the level of customer experience by uh, anticipating what's going to happen to that hot tub. It's going to get the filter, uh, the turbidity level of the hot tub is, is getting, you know, the, the hot tub is getting cloudier and cloudier. So we need to push a notification to the customer that they need to change their filter or they need to add chlorine tablets, right? So Again, it's merging the customer experience with the actual physical device. And that's what we do at Salesforce. And I get to do workshops like that all the time. Um, I was with the ABB. They make robots. I, um, we did an ABB robot integration uh, over the weekend that was 
very fun. I mean, it's like every day for me is like a science fair project and it's very rewarding and I get practically instant gratification uh, working with these fun customers on next generation use cases. Golly, Charlie, that does sound like a great job. And uh, for the record, we're, we're happy Salesforce customers. You know, uh, you're among friends, so it's okay to spy on Russians and be opposed to fossil fuels. Yeah, I'm not sure how we evolved in from uh, spying on Russians to uh, to uh, a jacuzzi hot tub. But I guess we got there. <laughs> I want to say thank you. I should have started off by thanking you for being a great Salesforce customer. And usually, whenever when you, whenever you hear anybody from Salesforce speak, um, the first thing we do is thank our customers. So I, uh, my bad, I was remiss in not thanking you. Thank, so thank you for mentioning that. Oh, you bet. Charlie, for our listeners who are not familiar, can you please explain what the Orange Button Initiative is and how and why Salesforce is involved? Okay, so the way I, and again, I oversimplify everything I look at, and the way I look at the Orange Button Initiative is it's a way to um, provide a standardized way of exchanging data about uh, solar installations, uh, clean energy installations, and mainly, um, for, for what I've seen, it's mainly focusing in the United States. And it's look think of it, and I'll I'll dig down to the weeds for just a moment. It's a way to receive XML, for example, or spreadsheet files or CSV files. Get them in a standardized format so that companies can hit the ground running without running through a whole bunch of red tape to get their projects approved and funded and. Um, verify that they've uh, crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. That's helpful. Uh, I actually have to admit, I didn't realize that you could use a spreadsheet natively in uh, in Orange Button. What kind of impact, Charlie, has the Orange Button initiative had so far? And what needs to be done for the standard to reach its potential? Yeah. So, and again, I mentioned a, a spreadsheet because I guess that was what we call in Salesforce a forward-looking statement. Right now, if you're going to work with Orange Button, and again, I'm, I'm stealing the thunder of what we're going to talk about in a minute, hopefully, there is the ability to communicate with an API. So or, the Orange Button initiative is including not only a set of standards, but they're developing an API document, or it's like mostly developed. I think the first version is out. And the API allows you to exchange the data in a common format. And what it should do is eventually end up in uh, rows and table tables in a database somewhere, or and again, I'm very Salesforce biased. So why not be able to, um, like with our latest release, you could upload a uh, a spreadsheet, and it'll automatically format that spreadsheet and take those rows of data in your spreadsheet or your CSV file and place them into a what we call a custom object in Salesforce and parse the data and make sure the fields are appropriately assembled and then they could trigger a workflow. So I'm getting way down in the weeds and I'm, I'm stealing some of the thunder uh, and that is a forward-looking statement, but that is how I view Orange Button. It's the ability to make it easy for anybody who's interacting with any solar or clean energy projects to get their data in and trigger workflows and approvals. That's helpful, Charlie. Is there uh, so you know helping our listeners understand um, how mature Orange Button and, and its integration into Salesforce is? Can somebody go and look 
uh, on the app exchange and find uh, an orange button app or is that on the roadmap? Yeah, so that would be something that, um, and, and we've been talking to some of our financial services customers and financial uh, SI partners and also some of our uh, banking customers. And it runs the gamut. You know, some of them, and I'm not going to mention any names, they want to build their own app, right? So some companies are going to say, hey, we want to own all this intellectual property associated with Orange Button. So we're going to build our own app in Java from scratch or in Python. There's, I believe there's a Python library up on GitHub, right, for Orange Button. And you can write your own stuff and accept the data and massage it into that format. But the way I look at it, again, I oversimplify everything. Why not have, especially since some of these financial institutions are Salesforce customers, they already have their customer data and they have their partner data loaded into Salesforce. So Salesforce is a platform. And you mentioned that there's something called the App Exchange. So in my opinion, someone should build or multiple companies should build App Exchange plugins for Salesforce that accommodate that are either private app exchange apps um which we have the ability to do that you can you can provide like if you're an si partner like deloitte or accenture are our two biggest partners they could build their own orange button app exchange app that they could sell or provide to their financial institution customers that uh, comply with the standard of the orange button um mandates and they could make that available to their own customers their own that happen to be running Salesforce or not. And so they could provide that as a competitive differentiator. Or there could be a whole co- a company that decides to build their entire business around, okay, I'm going to make, I'm going to build an orange button app and put it on the app exchange and make it available to everybody and sell it to them for, you know, $1 a seat or wh- whatever they want to sell it for. And then have that, provide the ability to allow companies to interact with the standard API that loads the data into Salesforce and triggers Salesforce workflows and merges that data with, you know, bank of X, right? Um, I'm not going to mention any names because I know I've talked to a few of them and I'm trying to convince some of them to work, to get on the app exchange to do this already. And I think it's the right approach. There's no company in the world now that should try to build a platform from scratch, that never makes sense, right? To, oh, yeah, I'm going to build my own hosting center and I'm going to build my own software. I'm going to write everything from scratch when, you know, there's already an infrastructure in place and you can get the best of both worlds where you can write your own software if you want and you can host it in the cloud and you can sell it um, and there's a mechanism to do that, and you leverage all the existing functionality that's already built in the Salesforce. So I'm sorry, that was a really long answer to your question, but does it, did that answer your question? Yeah, that was very responsive. Thank you. Charlie, we're both of the generation that may remember electronic data interchange less than fondly. A short version is uh, EDI. How does Orange Button strike a balance between being sufficiently robust to describe complex transactions and being simple enough for developers to want to use it. Yeah, so I think back in the days of EDI, we didn't really have things like, okay, first of all, there's an unfair competitive advantage because we have the cloud, right? We have things like GitHub where people can 
if they want to, if they choose to make their stuff available for free, like uh, the Python library is available for Orange Button, they could do that. So it makes it extremely easy to, and I call this stealing other people's code. I know that sound, that has negative connotations, but that's how <laughs> I, I have to admit this. When I do hackathons, when I do workshops with customers, I have this, my own library of uh, code that I've written myself. And uh, some of that I've borrowed from GitHub, right? Or I've borrowed from other sources. I've borrowed from other people at Salesforce. And I just take that with me everywhere. It just grows and grows and grows. So there's so much open source out there. There's so much um, free stuff. And during the days of EDI, we didn't really have that, number one. So there's one aspect of it. The other aspect is the folks at Department of Energy that um, helped develop this all the standards, I mean, they were very exhaustive on their approach for defining what needed to be in the standard, but I thought they did a really good job of uh, boiling it down and making it uh, easy enough and understandable enough so that it wasn't EDI revisited. Did that answer your question? It sure did, yep. When we see a new standard is in the process of being adopted, there are a lot of different roles uh, that that have to participate, uh, people in, in different roles, I guess I should say, that have to participate to push the standard forward. You probably have um, a manager. She's going to be responsible for uh, actually saying, okay, officially, I bless this. It can be used in our enterprise. You've got... Um, the coders uh, who, you know, if they don't adopt the standard, it, do, it doesn't really matter what the what the, the manager said is, is kosher for the enterprise. If the coders don't want to code it, it's not going to go anywhere. And then you've got the maintainers, uh, the people who work on the open source libraries that you mentioned earlier. And they're the same people as the coders, but they're, but they're wearing different hats. So from each of those perspectives, what case does the manager make to persuade her peers that Orange Button is, um, is mature enough to actually adopt in the enterprise? Well, the manager um, could just take a look at uh, the, the documentation that's available right now and see that it's robust enough to, and, and this is going to sound bad, but I think this should be, you know, an agile approach to development and not, you know, this huge waterfall model where um, the manager should, should say, okay, we're going to have a nine-month project and at the end, everything's going to be done, right? It should be an uh, iterative approach because, and, and by the way, it should be iterative, number one, because it's faster and better that way and agile because it's better and faster that way. But also because I think the the standard is still evolving a little bit, but it's to the point where hopefully we're going to do the right thing and not you know deprecate any of the standards that are already there. So an example of that is like in Salesforce, we're at API version 52 or whatever it is. I, I forgot how many versions of API, the API we have. We never deprecated any of our codes. So you, you shouldn't, if you have version 12, your uh, API interchange with that version of the API, your code that you wrote should still work with version 52. Okay. So they should take the same approach. And I'm hoping they're taking the same approach with uh, Orange Button, even if the standard evolves that everything that we've done today is backward compatible. Okay, that being said, assuming we could do that, then the manager could leverage the existing documentation and the existing standards and get the team uh, embarking on a sprint of development 
that could result in a, a really short period of time, a rapid prototype that would get them exchanging data and triggering workflows, for example. And that would go a long way to seeing the value. And, and I think for all projects, and I, I take this approach for IoT too, your project is not going to be um, well-received by anybody, including the manager's manager, unless you can prove the ROI of the project. So the fastest way to do that and the best way to do that is to do um, ensure in the early sprints of development that you get a stage where you can say, hey, look, let's prove the return on investment for the um, development effort and the work we're doing so that we can show to our management team that this is truly a worthwhile effort and it's worth funding the additional sprints. I'm hoping that answered your question. <laughs> it, it did. It surely did. Let's look at the developer role then. Uh, what would the, the first steps be for a developer to, to, to pick up Orange Button and, and uh, let's just say work in a one or two week sprint? Yeah, so again, there's a, I hope I'm not speaking out of school here, but there's, I believe there is a GitHub uh, repository up there in Python. If you're not a Python developer, uh, you could probably take it and Python's a relatively easy language. You can reverse engineer it and, and rewrite it in Java if you want, if, if your language of choice is, is Java. But there are also, well, last time I looked, there are uh, testing scripts and things like that so you can help test the data. So worst case, you could throw up a Python server. Uh, okay, so I'm going to, this is a plug. You could throw up a, a Python server on, on Heroku. Uh, Heroku is uh, an acquisition by Salesforce. They're one, of, they're one of our divisions of Salesforce. But if someone said, hey, Charlie, spin up a, a Python server, you could spin up a Python server and get the, the, the GitHub library up and running in a Python server in, in a matter of, um, well, maybe, I'd say hours, but you could probably say days, a couple days. <laughs> so um, get started with that. And then once you've got that running, you know, start pouring through the documentation. There's a set of API calls and just start experimenting with the API calls. And the other approach you could take, if you're out there, and I'm going to make this offer to you, if you want to get started on Salesforce and you want to see, uh, if you want to interact with our custom object set in Salesforce, I've already uploaded a standard CSV file from the orange button standard, and I've created the rows required in a custom object. So I can show you how to do that, or I can, I can hand over what we call an org. You can start experimenting with that, and you can actually OAuth into Salesforce and start exchanging data in Salesforce. And once you've done that, you can leverage all the power of Salesforce, all the, all the workflows, all the email alerts, and all the, uh, you want to use SMS text to notify people. Everything we've got built in the Salesforce platform, including uh, Salesforce management, you could, again, I'm making the offer to your, your listeners that I or someone on the team can work with you to make that happen. That is a generous offer. And I suspect you're going to have multiple people taking you up on it, Charlie. So speaking of uh, GitHub, uh, Clean Capital is a Python shop. And uh, I checked the GitHub repo for the Orange Button Python library just before our call. And uh, it looks like it is actually actively maintained. The latest commit was yesterday. Um, but I also noticed that there are only seven watchers. I'm just wondering, you know, what can we do to help get the word out? Well, okay, so the best thing to do, well, hopefully 
people on this uh, podcast listening to the po- this podcast will start watching it. But number two, what we I should probably do now that I'm I'm, sh- I'm sure that it's up there and it's maintained. Uh, people like me can start tweeting about it, right? We should start and then also interact with it, and we can start posting our results interacting with the library and you know like a simple tweet stating that wow look i was able to launch this on heroku in in five hours and i was exchanging data and here's the result you know that goes a long way to getting exposure out there for this type of uh open source project you bet charlie I'm curious to know what, what what are you sitting there thinking? Golly, I wish this guy would ask me this question about Orange Button. What what are we missing? The only thing we're missing is again, and that's why I made the offer. I'd love to see more people uh, being interested, especially Salesforce customers. And if you're not a Salesforce customer, that's fine too. But leveraging the power of a platform to you know get a project started, and we don't have a lot of interest in that right now. And I like to see. You know, we've done ex- internal experimentation, but we, I want to see a real customer exchanging data, pushing data in and pushing data out, you know, having other, their customers pull data out so we could prove out uh, the power of the platform. That's great guidance, Charlie. Uh, last question. You know, you, you talked about all the way back in 1980, you, you knew that solar was the future, even if it was a somewhat circuitous route for yourself to get there professionally. If you could sit down with yourself coming out of high school or college, what advice would you give? Oh, boy. You know, I started really late in my career thinking about underrepresented classes of people. And so actually two mistakes. That's number one. I didn't really focus on, you know, how do I really lift up this person? Like an example, I, my favorite volunteer organization right now is Black Girls Code, right? We didn't really have that back then, so I could claim that, oh, we didn't really have that organization. But I should have been, you know, as soon as I got established in my career, I should have been thinking more and more about how we could get that started earlier. And I would have started that earlier. So that, you know, underrepresented classes of people, including women, right? Getting, encouraging women to get into technology. Sure, I, I encouraged my daughters to, to get into technology and I failed miserably. But then as soon as that happened, they didn't go for a bachelor in science degree or an engineering degree. I doubled down and said, okay, now I'm going to start volunteering more and more for STEM organizations. But we're in a really bad state right now with not having a sufficient technological workforce because we don't have enough educated people in the underrepresented classes, right? So think of the how that's impacting our ability to... And, you know, we're not seeing it right now, but in the next two to three years, if we don't really double down on this, we're, we're going to get outperformed by other countries that have more trained engineers or higher skilled engineers. And we need to leverage the entire uh, population in order to continue to be the best in the areas of technology. So anyway, I would, I would advise myself, hey, Charlie, you should be giving back more earlier in your career. And, and start helping these people out. Charlie, that's great advice. And I think that's a, a, a great way to wrap up the interview. I want to thank you again for your time. I, I really enjoyed it. And I also want to thank our producer, Lauren Glickman, and special thanks to Matthew Hirsch for coordinating today's conversation. Have a great day, Charlie. Thank you. No, thank you very much.
Great questions. Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.